0: Hey, it's wonderful to be back and to see you. Um, I am just returning from a sabbatical, so if that's not new to you, you might have been on a sabbatical or, or vacation for the last four weeks. But first of all, um, before we get to the message for this weekend, uh, I do want to say thank you, uh, of course, to our elders um, for, for supporting and really calling me to do this time away, not only to be renewed and to be refreshed, which I was, but even more importantly, to take time and pray, uh, to hear from the Lord. And say, God, what are you saying for this season, for us as a church and in our lives? And I, and I believe that uh, I have heard from the Lord in that and had a very productive productive time with him. I want to thank Pastor Blaine, who filled the pulpit, and Pastor Ron Morrison from Cleveland, even though he ragged on our Steelers in his black and yellow shirt. And then Pastor Sheldon, our pastor at our Homestead Campus Fellowship 412. And then uh, I had to call Pastor Rock after his message last weekend. And I said, man, I had a friend text me and said, Pastor Rock committed arsony in the pulpit last weekend. I said, man, that's a great way of putting it, so I want to thank those gentlemen. And um, but I, I do want to say I am so excited to be to be back. I was worshiping here, and it just felt so good. And so uh, while it was needed, uh, I am very much refreshed. One other announcement, and um, this is a COVID-related announcement. And Pastor Blaine and I were talking this week. It's like COVID. It, you should be able to spell COVID with four letters. Because it's just—it's like you know—you the hair raises as soon as you say COVID anymore. It's just there are emotions and thoughts and opinions, and I don't want to strike that into you. But it, there is something that I need to say. As I was driving back, I spent some time with an alliance pastor uh, for a few days, and and then our our governor. Uh, made an announcement that was very significant in our state. Uh, you may be familiar, most of you probably are, that earlier this week our governor made a mask mandate for all of our schools statewide through the state of Pennsylvania in from kindergarten through 12th grade. And so I was back in time um, to have some conversation. We didn't have a lot of time, but I, I really felt that We needed to have some conversation, and we were looking at how we were doing things here specifically in ministry from our younger kids, from kids through 12th grade. And we didn't have much time, but we had conversation and then made a decision. And then if you saw my weekly update, you know that we made a significant change to children's ministry and student ministry beginning this weekend. And that change is that we are asking our children's ministry kids And the volunteers that serve in children's ministry as well as our student ministries, our middle school and high schoolers, and volunteers that serve in student ministries to wear masks. Now, I want us us all to pause for one minute. And I just want you to breathe. And I want you to hear, I say this a lot, but I really want you to hear the heart of your pastor. These are not easy times and easy decisions. They're not and i know we have a variety of opinions and emotions let me tell you i have a variety of opinions and emotions the hard thing about all of this is that you can show data on this side you can show data on this side and how many of you know it just goes back and forth like a tennis match as your pastor i am not interested in getting into debates about data i am interested in hearing and seeing that information, in hearing the heart of our congregation, in talking to our staff who have boots on the ground and doing ministry, and then taking all of that and praying and saying, God, what would you have us do in response to all of this? And then at the end of the day, as the Bible says, doing what seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Not that seems good to these people, or to these people, or to these opinions? Because how many know I am not going to please everybody and we will not please everybody? We don't sell ice cream. (laughs) and I'm joking, but I'm serious in that. So here's what I ask. I ask us to keep perspective. This is what seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us to do that now. I understand that there are some families that may choose to say, hey, I'm going to bring my children into the sanctuary, or I'm going to bring my students into the sanctuary and worship here instead. And that's fine. And we are not going to ask you to put masks on your children here. But this is what seems good to us for now. And so while I don't want to get into debates and arguments and counter-arguments, I ask that you pray. I ask that you be people of the Spirit I ask that we be a church that remains unified and does not model the division and the hate and the spewing arguments that we see outside. We should be a people that are different regardless of our opinion. Can I get an amen? Amen. Thank you. Now, I don't know how I'm supposed to segue to that to preach, but I'm gonna try, okay? (laughs) I wanna show you a picture this weekend. And uh, I found this earlier this week. It's gonna be hard for some of you to see. How many of you recognize what that picture is? Okay. It's, it's pretty close to where our church is located. This is Hines Field. And one of the things, this is, this is called a mosaic. And I want to give credit where credit is due. This picture is created by an artist named Dan Duffy. And if you're really interested, you can purchase it at his website. It's www.artofwords.com. And Dan, this artist creates mosaics. So, and what I mean by that is a mosaic are little images that create big images. And in this picture, believe it or not, this picture, this mosaic, includes all of the names of all of the players that have ever played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So there's about 1,600 names that are listed in this picture, and all of those names make up this mosaic. Now it's about 13,000 letters is what he said. And I do want to pause for just a moment, because this weekend, um, not only did Steeler Nation, more importantly, the kingdom of God, lost a warrior. Uh, Tunch Hilkin went to be with the Lord. I don't know if you were made aware of that or not. Tunch was 63 years old. He played offensive line, He was a hall of famer, but beyond his football career, Tunch was a man of faith. Tunch was a man of God and did so much good in this city. He worked a lot with Light of Life and had an incredible testimony. But uh, Tunch's name is on here. But you get the picture? Okay, all of these names make up a larger picture. That is a great representation or model of what the body of Christ is. We could have a picture of God's family of the church with all of our names and all of the names of Christians all over the world and who have, who have been this great cloud of witnesses that we've talked about in Hebrews. You know, our families are mosaics. We oftentimes, some of you may have family crests. Do any of you have family crests? You know, it's like a, a monogram or picture that represents your family. Okay, now all of us in families, I'm, I have brothers and I have a sister and we're very much different. My mom and dad, we're different. We have similarities. We're all different, but together, we make up the Hannah family. And that paints a picture that we all are a part of. And again, the body of Christ is very much the same. The church, the community of faith, we are a mosaic made up of diverse people. And you could say that our family crest would be a cross. So if Dan was to do a mosaic, say, of the community of faith, if an artist was to paint a picture, a mosaic of the body of Christ, if a photographer was to capture a picture of us, this faith community, what would the elements of that composition be? What would her characteristics look like? So that's why I've named this series Mosaic and the tagline is we who are many are one. Everybody say one. One. We're many. We're different. (laughs) We look different. We have different backgrounds, perspectives, but we are called to be one. And there is a a beautiful letter written by Paul, which we're gonna look at. It's Romans 12, or the book of Romans, but we're specifically gonna look at the 12th chapter, because I believe this 12th chapter, over the next four weeks, will help us understand what the body of Christ should look like, if you were explaining the composition of a picture, the elements, its color, its tone, its shape, the lines, if you were to explain that in words for the body of Christ, I believe you could take the 12th chapter of the book of Romans, Paul's letter, and it would give us a great description of what we should look like to the world. So this weekend, we're gonna be talking about being a transformed people, the community of faith, living out transformation. Next weekend, we're gonna talk about giftedness, how we're the body of Christ and we're each gifted to do certain things well or as Paul says, graced to do certain things well. Week three, we're gonna talk about love. That's the predominant color, if you will, in the painting of God's people. And then the last week, we're gonna talk about grace. Grace. So today, I'm going to invite all of you to stand once again, and we're going to read God's word together. We're going to read Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. If you're watching at home, you certainly don't have to stand. We won't know if you are anyway. But I love the sound of God's people reading his word out loud. So do me a favor, and if you're here, let's read this together. They're going to put it up on the screen, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12. Paul says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing, perfect. Father in heaven, your word is alive and it is truth. In that same prayer where you prayed that we would be one as you are one, you also prayed that we would be holy. And you said that we become holy or we know what it is to be holy by your truth, which is your word. So that's why we are here, to open your word, to hear your truth so that it brings transformation into us so that we would live righteous and holy lives. The problem is you called me (laughs) to present your word. And in myself and in my flesh, I am certainly imperfect and unable to do that. But, Lord, I'm the vessel you chose, so I pray that your anointing would rest in me, that you would filter out my opinions and my thoughts, and they would be yours. May your spirit lead my lips. May you open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So. Week one, we're going to look at the 12th chapter of Romans. And I strongly encourage all of you, Romans is not a long book, do this and read the first 11 chapters. Okay, we're not going through the whole book of Romans, we're just going to look at chapter 12. But I'd encourage you between now and next week, or take two weeks and do it, uh, or an entire four weeks. But read chapters 1 through 11. And then we're going to study and go through the 12th chapter, and you'll see why it's so important this weekend. So, this is one of the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote. And you may be aware that the Apostle Paul wrote several letters in the New Testament. First and Second Corinthians, he wrote two letters to Corinthians. He wrote Galatians. He wrote a personal letter, two letters to Timothy, and of course, Ephesians. Well, as we look at Romans... The book of Romans, this letter that he wrote is different than any other letter that he wrote in one specific way. So whenever you write a letter, there's an audience. There's a person that you are hoping to receive that. Well, such is the case with Paul. And of course, with Timothy, that was a very personal letter that he wrote to Timothy, his student. When he wrote to the Corinthian church or the church in Galatia or the church in Ephesus, he was specifically writing to um, a, a particular group of Christians. He was writing to the Gentile believers. Now, in biblical times, and forgive me if many of you know this, but I want to make sure we're all on the same page. There were two types of believers in biblical times when Paul was writing this letter. There were Jewish Christians, and there were Gentile Christians. Pretty self-explanatory, but Jewish Christians were Jewish And many of them believed that even though they followed Christ, they still followed the Torah, all of those laws. And they believed that even though you put your faith in Jesus, you were to follow that. And Paul worked really hard in helping them understand that, no, that your salvation is found. You are justified by faith in Christ alone. Well, these Gentile believers who weren't circumcised and didn't grow up with the Torah and didn't grow up with all of these rules were like, hey, we have total freedom in Christ. You see the difference and you know the difference? So Paul's letter, like in Galatian and Ephesus and Corinthians, he was writing primarily to those those Gentile believers, Christians who were not Jewish, people like you and me. And a lot of the problems that he addressed in those church were specific to the Gentile ways, the Hellenistic ways. But in Romans, he is not specifically writing to just the Jewish Christians or specifically just to the Gentile Christians like he did in his other letters. He is writing to both. You see this church in Rome, there's house churches and the house churches were divided. I already told you some of the differences between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Well, rather than just calling out the gentiles are calling a jewish he says both of you need to understand the gospel you see the division in these roman house churches the, the churches that were in rome it was a symbol it was happening without within all of christianity and it relates really well because how many understand in churches today in 21st century western america we have churches that are divided would you agree with that? And, it, and you could take one particular church, you could take this church, not that we are divided, but we have different opinions and all of those things. And it is a picture of what's happening, you could say in Christianity all over the world. So the same is true with Paul. And Paul says, this is so important, between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. He says, you guys see things differently. You are divided and you're arguing. But Paul recognized and he says that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ is what unites people in what breaks down walls of division. And let me tell you, it is still only the gospel of Jesus Christ can be the thing that unites people today and breaks down walls of division. And this gospel, the good news is that we guilty sinning people can now be justified through faith in Jesus Christ. And in doing so, we are redeemed and we're adopted into a new family. So therefore, whatever you look like, however much money you have or don't have, how either young or old you are, whatever differences you have, you are now adopted into a new family. You have brothers and sisters in Christ and you are one. So in this letter, the first 11 chapters, about 75, 80% of this first letter, Paul writes about orthodoxy or theology. In English, he writes about how to think straight, It's a theology book. So when you go later this week and you read Romans one through 11, you're gonna read a basic fundamental theology of what it means to be a Christian. He will lay out the gospel, who Christ is, God sending him here, him dying on a cross and us being justified by faith. And so that's what the first 11 chapters are. But then everything changes when you get to chapter 12 which is what we're talking about over the next four weeks. You see, this is what we just read. 12.1 says, and so, everybody say and so. And so. In a lot of versions it says therefore. Now I wanna stop here because these two words or the one word therefore is really important. If you say and so or therefore, what does that mean? Whatever you say next points back. So Paul here is saying therefore. Those first 11 chapters that I wrote, this whole letter, therefore. So this is why it's really important that you understand what those first 11 chapters are. So read it. But he says, because of all of that, because of all this orthodoxy and right thinking, this doctrine that you have to understand. Church, he says. Dear brothers and sisters, church. He goes, I plead with you. I beg you, I implore you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you so everything switches and changes at chapter 12 he says you have all of this right thinking this orthodoxy as i would call it but now as we get to chapter 12 paul moves from right thinking to right doing orthopraxy to use a fancy word you catch the picture there so we're talking about right thinking but now we're talking about right doing right living so what does that mean for you and i that if we take the gospel seriously, if we take the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ to heart, then it would and should affect the way that we live and interact. This gospel, this good news, should change the way that we interact not only with the world outside these church walls, but it should change how we interact with each other in the church walls. So how should we live? How should we Give ourselves to God. In verse two, he says it. He says, let them be a living. Give your bodies to God, Paul says. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. And then he says, this is truly the way to worship him. You catch that? We just got done spending about 15, 20 minutes in worship. And he's saying, you really wanna worship God? Then give your bodies and let them be a holy sacrifice Sacrifice to God. So, this picture of the people of faith, if we were gonna have an artist paint or draw or capture, what would this? What would the elements be? I'm gonna give you three elements. The first would be that we should be a people of the cross. Everyone say the word sacrifice. You know, the word sacrifice, it loses its power in our times today. Because in the time when this letter was written and in Jesus' times, sacrifice was always attached to religion. Whatever religion there was, there were sacrifices. And I think you get the picture, you know history enough that whatever religion, they killed animals and those were sacrifice. So all religions required some type of death or sacrifice. Something had to die and to be offered up to a God. Now sacrifices in the Old Testament for believers needed to be pure, they needed to be spotless, they needed to be holy, they needed to be perfect. And we understand that the ultimate perfect sacrifice came in the New Testament by who? The New Testament by who? Jesus, you get the picture? You have all of this animal sacrifice in the Old Testament, but then Jesus comes, he lives a perfect life, he's a holy, the best sacrifice that ever could be, the lamb of God. And he has sacrificed on the cross for us. So therefore, we no longer, thank goodness today, have to bring a dove or a goat or a lamb in here and sacrifice at the altar because Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice. Now, when we use the word sacrifice, if we were gonna say I sacrificed something for my wife or for my kids, we use it as a verb, right? That we let our own desire go. We, we said, I'm gonna do this for the benefit of that person. I won't take what I really want or buy what I really want or whatever it is maybe. We use it as a verb. I sacrificed this for you, are you with me? In the Old Testament, sacrifice was a noun. I offer this sacrifice to you. And so it's not something that you do, Paul is saying, You don't don't sacrifice to God, you become the sacrifice to God. Paul is saying no longer are animals required, no. Something far greater than offering an animal. In fact, it would be easier if we went and found a spotless lamb and offered that as a sacrifice. He's saying now, no, you wanna know what the sacrifice is? It's you, it's me. It's every person who calls themselves a believer or follower of Jesus. It's your thoughts, it's your opinions, it's your desires, it's your dreams, it's your possessions. Everything needs to be sacrificed and everything needs to die. Let me remind you of the words in Jesus in Luke when he said this, he said then to the crowd, Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my follower, if you wanna be a Jesus follower, Jesus says, then you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily. And follow me. You gotta go to the cross and die, Jesus says. Paul is making the same connection that Jesus said. He's saying that to the Roman house Jewish, to the Roman house churches. He's saying, Jewish Christians, you guys who say you can't eat pork. <laughs> Okay, You have to follow, if you wanna be a, a believer in Jesus with all your Jewish background and all your laws, we need Gentiles, you need to be circumcised and you guys need to follow all of these rules. Paul is saying, no, you need to die to your desire and yield and understand the freedom that those Gentile Christians has. You need to die to your desires and yield and understand. But Paul is also saying to you Gentile Christians, no, you don't have to be sacrificed. Circumcised, You don't have to follow all of those Jewish laws, but Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And you need to respect these Jewish Christians. You need to yield and understand and not be divided. Do you see the picture? Both groups he's calling to sacrifice, to die to flesh. And he says, in doing so, that is the way to worship him. Die to your own way, die to your own desires. So what does that mean for us as a faith community, his church, to take up up our cross and die daily? It means that we die to our flesh. It means we lay down our swords of fighting, our fighting spirit, and instead in humility, we love one another. It means that young and old, it means black, white, Asian, Hispanic, rich, poor, Republican, Democrat, I lay down my rights and I yield to you out of humility and love. It's why in October of last year, when we were in the middle of the pandemic and we looked at moving all of our services online and not meeting here in person, I believe and I said, this is our cross moment. Because it was a moment I felt that God would have us die to our own personal rights and freedoms for the sake and the love of our community. This was our cross moment, and it still is. Paul is saying to the Roman church, you really want to worship Jesus? Then live a holy life and die daily. See, because you can believe all of the right things about God, but if it doesn't result in godly living, your worship is meaningless. The first thing that the world, that people should see about the picture and the people of faith is wow, the first thing they should say is wow, those Christians are so uniquely different. Look at them, they have different backgrounds, they don't look alike, they're young, they're old, they're rich, they're poor, they believe different things, they vote different ways, but they lay all of that down and they're unified and look how they serve and love others. Is that what the world says about his church right now? Now that's a beautiful picture of the gospel, That's an awe-striking mosaic. The faith community should be a living picture of the cross of Jesus Christ. He, write, he writes and he says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Paul says in verse two, which leads us to the second element, that we should be a people distinctive. We should be a people of the cross, but we should be a people distinctive. We should be a people that are different. Don't copy, don't look like the customs and the behaviors of this world. If that picture were here, it would be completely different than anything or anyone else. God's church, God's people have to be different. The apostle Peter says that we're a peculiar people. That picture would be peculiar. He says that we're aliens, that we're foreigners. We look different, we talk different, we act different than everyone else around us. We should stand out we should stand out for good reasons. So how does all that happen? How do people of faith be known as people of the cross and people that are distinctive? Well, he tells us. I just said he don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world. He continues, he says, but let God transform you into a new person. So how does this transformation happen? By changing the way that you think, Paul writes. If you change the way you think, he says, then you will learn to know God's will For you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Several versions use the renewing of your mind. Changing the way you think, it's a renewing of your mind. I would use the word, it's a reprogramming. (laughs) It's a software update. Anybody ever have a software update on your computer? Okay. How many know it doesn't happen like that? When a software update happens and you hit it and you see that little bar, and it just you're just like waiting forever. Let me tell you. That's what our transformation is like. It doesn't happen in an instant. We use the word sanctification. It's progressive. It happens over time. And it's the work of the spirit. But there needs to be a renewing, a reprogramming for the way that we think. That's how we look differently than the world. Paul, at the beginning of his letter in Romans chapter 1, verse 28, he says, those who reject God... It leads to foolish thinking. And that's why he spent those first 11 chapters, that majority of the letter, writing about how you should think because you have to change the way you think. So if changing the way that we think, this renewing of our mind, if it leads us to being people of the cross and it leads us to being very distinctive, then how do we ultimately change the way you think? How many understand that's a lot harder to do than it sounds? Well, let's go back a little earlier. Four chapters earlier, Paul says this, same book of Romans chapter eight. He says, those who are dominated by sinful nature, they think about sinful things. But he says, those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, you have to be controlled by the Holy Spirit because if you are, then you think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to peace which leads to the final point. We should be a people of the cross, we should be a people distinctive, and we should be a people of the spirit. So we spent six weeks going through, we called it the CrossFit series, spiritual disciplines. And I repeated it over and over and over again That spiritual disciplines, prayer, reading God's word, Bible intake Journaling, worship, evangelism, good stewardship All of those things train us for godliness But who is the one that ultimately transforms? The Holy Spirit We need to do all of those things But it is the Spirit's work in us as we do them That leads to sanctification, that leads to change And so for all of us, there has to come a moment in your life. There has to come a moment when you recognize you can't do it on your own, and you need the Spirit's work to move from just being a convert to a disciple. You know the difference between a convert and a disciple? Convert is someone says yes to Jesus, but when the going gets tough, they run. A disciple is one who says yes to Jesus and gives his life, goes to the cross daily. And when the going gets tough, they stick it out. Let me tell you, in right now in Afghanistan, there are a lot of people who are disciples. Afghanistan is the second largest growing church in the world. And right now, there are Christians running for the hills and running for caves. And they're showing and they're demonstrating what it means to pick up their cross and die. There comes a time where we have to move from being a convert to a disciple. So how should we be described? This mosaic, far beyond individual transformation. It's not about you. Just like there's no I in team, there's no I in church. We're a mosaic. So what should we look like? How would people describe us? They should describe us as people of the cross, people dying to our own desires for the sake of others, people who are distinctive, different in the world around us, and the people of the Spirit transformed to be like Jesus. I want to close with a story that really impacted me, a true story, of a man named Matthew Ierga. For about the last five years, I've kept his picture in my Bible. And on February 15th, 2015, there were 21 men who were executed by ISIS on a beach in Libya. They were executed because of their faith. Of those 21 men, 20 of them were from Egypt. And they had gone to the country of Libya for work. And they were sending money back home to support their families. But one of these men was Matthew Arirga. He wasn't from Egypt. You could probably tell by the picture. He was from West Africa, from a country named Ghana. But not only was Matthew not Egyptian, Matthew was not a Christian. Matthew was not a believer. But on February 15th, ISIS lined up these 21 men, and one by one, their killer with a knife and a hand at their neck said, Renounce your faith, and you will live. And one by one, those 20 Egyptian Christians gave their life and became a martyr for Jesus Christ because they would not renounce their faith. But when they asked Matthew Ierga, who was not a believer and was not Egyptian, and they held a knife to his throat, and they said, renounce your faith, he had no faith to renounce. You know what his words were? And they know these words because ISIS released a video And his friends who were back in Ghana saw him and they read his lips. Matthew Ierga's words were, their God is my God. And in that moment, he died and he's spending eternity in heaven today. Now think about this. Here's the reason I keep that picture in my Bible because one day when I'm in heaven, I wanna meet Matthew and I wanna ask him this question. What was it, Matthew? What was it when you were shackled and tied up while ISIS had you? What was it in those 21 Egyptians that you didn't know? What was it in their life? What did you see in them that in that moment you had no orthodoxy, you had no understanding of who God was, who Jesus was, but you must have seen something that in the moment when you had an opportunity to spare your life, you said no. Their God is my God. That's what I wanna know. And I keep this picture in my Bible as a reminder that how we live matters. And the picture, the mosaic of us should be a people who die daily. Who die daily, that we become the sacrifice that dies daily. That we would be a people distinctive and different in a culture, in a world, in a custom that has hate, that has animosity, that has presumption, that has division and polarization and hostility, that we would be people of the Spirit that look different than the world. So that when we talk about things like COVID, when we talk about things like politics, when we talk about things about racial inequities and injustice, we wouldn't move to those things, but instead we would be people of spirit who instead lead with joy, with goodness, with kindness, with peace, with patience, with faithfulness, that we would look different. That's the people God's called us to be. Lord, help us. Let this church be that. Father in heaven, we need you. It's not easy, beginning with me, to die to our own opinions, our own desires. We really want to fight for those things. But you said if we're going to follow you, we have to pick up our cross and die daily. As hard as that may be, I pray that you would help us do that. Not just individually. Not just corporately as ACAC. Not just as the American church. But Lord, as your body, the global church. Help us. Would you help us be a distinctive people? As Peter said, peculiar. Recognizing that we're ambassadors for you living in a foreign land. So the way we act and the way we talk and the way we think is different. Help us not to get sucked into that. Lord, last, let us be people of your spirit. Let us be a church of your spirit. Let your fruit radiate, the fruit of the spirit radiate from us. Would you help us do that? In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.